right, so with that said, I'm going to uh, open up the word for us. So um, if you are at home and you're watching, you know, through live stream, um, I encourage you guys to open up your Bibles, your physical Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We're going to be reading for, from verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Going to give us just a few minutes for us to find our place. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead And is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb. Afraid yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. Clasped his feet. And worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Amen. This is, you know, such an incredible passage. And I love just how human their reaction is. It's a passage that perhaps many of us, if we've been believers for many years, um, we've kind of lost the sense of awe over what is happening uh, because we're so used to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jesus rose from the dead. You know, what's new? And we tend to gloss over these narratives that we become so over familiar with. And yet today I would like us you know, to take a pause and go through these verses a bit more slowly for us to um, hopefully gain better understanding and greater revelation of the wonder of the miracle of the resurrection of Christ. And so as we are you know, going through the passage verse by verse, I want us today actually to place ourselves in the shoes of the women who are at the tomb. And so if we were to begin from back from verse one, it says after the Sabbath, after the resting day, after the day when the Israelites were called to stop their working and their striving and just rest in the goodness of God. After that Sabbath day, when it felt like everything was at a standstill, when everything was on pause, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And so they had already, they had already heard Jesus say that he would rise from the dead. But... And this is just my theory. My theory is that 
I don't believe they were actually expecting that. The only reason why I'm able to say this is because in both Mark and Luke's accounts, it says that they showed up to the tomb with spices to anoint the dead body. You don't do that unless you expect to see a dead body there. And so they show up with these spices that they use in order you know, to anoint a dead body that should already be decomposing and should already be starting to smell. They show up to the tomb with that expectation of seeing a dead body there, regardless of what Jesus had said. And as they show up to the tomb, the next verse, it says, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So there was a shaking. God was on the move. It was supposed to be a quiet Sunday, a quiet Sunday where all they were expecting was for there to be a dead body in a tomb and they were going to go and anoint him with these spices and then go back home. It was supposed to be an ordinary Sunday. And yet there was a shaking a sign that God was on the move where his angels were deployed. And it was for the express purpose of pulling back an obstacle in order to expose the full glory of God's work on that third day. Now it continues on to say the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. In other words, this angel is saying, I know why you're here. I know what brings you here to this grave. I know that who you're looking for is one that you know as Jesus who was crucified. That's the last you saw of him. That was the lingering image that you have of him, a broken, defeated, bloody, torn body hanging from the cross. That Jesus that you're looking for is the Jesus that you remember when all hope was lost, when all promises seemed dead, when all the good times seemed like they were in the past, all the miracles, signs, wonders, healings, they were in the past. It seems like a lifetime ago. And that Jesus from that, from that time where you remember that every hope that you had was lost, that Jesus is a Jesus that you're looking for. He is not here. That broken Jesus that you remember, that limp body that you place in the tomb, he is no longer here. And then it says the wonderful words, he has risen. He has risen. In, in Greek, it is agerthe. And this is the same word that was actually used a few chapters before in the same gospel in Matthew 8. So this is the same word that is used. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she agerthed. She rose and began to serve him. The next chapter in Matthew 9, it is the same word that appears when Jesus says that the little girl that was dead and mourners were already surrounding her. It is that same word that Matthew nine uses the little girl that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He took her by the hand and she agerthed. 
basically. She rose again. He has risen in the same way. Just as tangibly, just as real as they had seen, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, just as real as they had seen that little girl that Jesus resurrected from the dead, he had also risen just as he said. And then it says, come and see the place where they, uh, where he lay. The dead Jesus that you remember isn't here. He has overcome death itself and his word can be trusted. It is just as he said, come and see for yourself. They would see a dead, I mean, not a dead, an empty tomb. They would see an empty tomb in the same way that if they had gone to Peter's house, they would have seen an empty bed where his sick mother-in-law lay. In the same way that they would have gone to that little girl's house and seen an empty bed where that little sick girl had died in. In the same way that they would have found an empty bed, they were asked to come in to look at the tomb and see where he used to lay and see for yourself that now the grave is empty. Come and see for yourself. And then the angel quickly sends them off with a mission. And he says, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the angel sends them off with a mission to tell of this good news. That number one, he is risen from the dead. Second, that he is a God who is on a mission. He is not finished. There's still work to be done. And then third, that he would show himself to his disciples again. Now we need to pause just here for a little bit because last Last these disciples had seen, you know, and also these women at the tomb had seen, they would never have imagined someone that they so clearly saw dead sometime in the future, see him alive once again. And this awesome promise, I don't know, this is how I feel if I had been in the woman's shoes on that day. I think if I had heard what the angels had said and the angels like, Hey, trust me, this is what's going to happen. And then he would have sent them off. I think that would have given me perhaps enough hope to doubt what I had been expecting before just enough to, you know what, what if what he said was true? What if, and there's this wild hope that suddenly surges up in your heart. But then we read on to see, The woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. So asking themselves, could it be? They'd probably dropped their anointing spices by then. They'd forgotten about the dead body by then that they had been expecting to anoint. And they began to run to tell these disciples. And this is this awesome part where it wasn't enough just that an angel showed up and told them what had happened. But then Jesus himself met them. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. They were on their way to do what they had been asked to do, and Jesus met them in that place. Now we're going to pause really quickly and look at the word greetings. It's not just like, hey, sup, you know, how you doing? It's not just that. 
In the, in, in the Greek, it actually means rejoice. It's the same word that in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, Blessed are you when you're persecuted, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That same word, rejoice, is a word that is used here for greetings. In the same way, in Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Kairete, it's the same word, greetings. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 4, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That same word, that same word is said by Jesus. That's the first word that comes out of his resurrected lips as he sees these women who are on the way to give this good news. And I love their reaction. You know, they heard his voice. They came to him. They clasped his feet. They never thought they would touch his feet again. They clasped his feet. They touched him with his hands. They held fast to him. And in that place, they worshiped him. Before we move on, I'm wondering if this is perhaps something that we in this kind of year and in this kind of situation we could experience for ourselves when we are tucked away in our homes when we are in the hidden place when we haven't met in already eight weeks in that place would we meet jesus for ourselves as well would we hear his voice once again asking us to rejoice and would we come to him clasp his feet once again and worship him with all we have. That is what happened on that first Easter. There wasn't a grand service. There wasn't a mega church that people were clamoring to on that first Easter. The disciples were hidden away. The women were going to the tomb just to fulfill a duty to anoint a dead body that they assumed would be there when they would arrive. And yet it is in that moment where there weren't many people looking there wasn't a big crowd to witness this it was before these women in front of a tomb that jesus appeared once again and he led them into renewed surrendered worship and perhaps it's an invitation for us today as well and then the, the passage that we're looking at, it ends with this. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me as well. The other disciples were probably huddled together, quarantined, if you will, right? They, the last that they had seen of Jesus, you know, it was when he was being crucified. And who knew they could be next? His movement, their movement leader had just been killed by an angry mob. Who knew they could have been next? And so they were probably huddled together, quarantined, if you will, after seeing what the authorities had done with their leader, probably afraid for their lives, wondering if they'd be next. And Jesus sends these courageous women, who were the first witnesses to the resurrected Christ, to carry the good news to these men. And these men wouldn't just act on a secondhand testimony. They themselves would be given an opportunity to see the resurrected Christ for themselves. This is a turning point for 
this movement that started just as a rabbi with 12 disciples. Everything was about to change. This is a pivotal moment in church history. Jesus was about to transform a group of cowardly, afraid people wondering what was going to happen next. He was going to transform them into evangelists, pastors, revolutionaries, martyrs who would stand against the ruling authorities and religious leaders of their time, men and women who would lose their lives in order to testify of this good news. This was a turning point. This is what Jesus was doing behind the scenes. And so this is what we celebrate today as Easter Sunday. We rejoice in a God who did not spare his very own son. That we would find forgiveness of our sins. We would find our sins absorbed by the cross. Our iniquities iniquities absorbed by that cross. We would find ourselves made in right relationship with God the Father once again. And then we would see this resurrected Christ reminding us that this is our own destiny as well. We are destined to eternal life. He is the firstborn among the brethren. He is the one who goes ahead of us, but we will soon follow as well. And the beautiful moment that we see here in the gospel of Matthew is the the passing on of the baton. Now to fallen men and women who would carry on this gospel of grace and hope to a broken world. If we are to think about today's context, it is definitely strange times right now. So much really feels very surreal about this moment. The fact that, yes, it's our seventh Sunday online. The fact that the expression of the church all across the world has changed overnight. Now, I don't want you to think that it's only Christians who are experiencing change. It is everyone all across the globe, regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, regardless of religion, even everybody is experiencing a deep transformation overnight. This month, actually, is a really important religious month, not just to Christians, but also to Jewish people who celebrate uh, Passover. So, you know, if you see some of these pictures, we see the Western Wall empty. We see empty synagogues as well. Jewish people who are aching to be able to meet once again together to celebrate Passover. They're actually unable to as well. This month is also important for the Muslim community as well. It is Ramadan. And so we see empty mosques. This is a picture of the Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Where usually this time of the year, we would see thousands, if not tens of thousands of people surrounding the Mecca. And it is empty. And all across the globe today, we also see empty churches. It's very daunting to see these different houses of worship now completely empty. Perhaps there's just a small team or perhaps just a pastor leading an online service there. 
this morning. But at the same time, this is what I believe that God is doing right now. I believe there is an underground revolution happening. We see pictures and videos of paramedics and ICU staff on their knees in prayer before the start of a grueling shift. We hear testimonies of patients in hospitals sharing the gospel with their atheist doctors who begin to call on the name of Jesus. We hear of decentralized prayer meetings and fasting chains happening through online platforms. We see families beginning to worship together for first time in years, quarantined in their homes. We see videos of worship sung from balconies where the sound of praise fills entire districts as neighbors join in to sing. We see believers reconnect, reconnecting with God, the Holy Spirit on a new and personal level. And we are also seeing entire nations that are starting to call out to God. This is a picture you know, taken from Rio in uh, Brazil where their president you know, has asked, you know, publicly, he has asked Christians in his nation to begin to pray and fast. This is a quote from A.W. Tozer that a friend recently posted up on social media. And it says, keep a Christian from entering the church sanctuary and you have not in the least bit hindered his worship. We carry our sanctuary with us. We never leave it. And that is what we're seeing happening all across the globe. Yes, perhaps we cannot meet in our sanctuaries, and that is a loss, and that is something that we're grieving over. And yet God is doing something so much more profound. This is not a matter of, you know, trying to look on the positive side or, you know, trying to see that silver lining. I believe that there's something profoundly transformational that God is doing in his church at this hour. And we, yes, we should be grieving the fact that we cannot meet in person right now, and yet we should be rejoicing that God is moving across the nations, that he's doing something completely unprecedented. And it's going to begin with the church. And we're going to see a new generation of believers rising up to the challenge and begin to cry out to God like never before. We're going to see people in the public square beginning to cry out to Jesus because they have no choice. We're going to see nations begin to cry out to Jesus for salvation and for mercy. This past Friday, I preached on the prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, it is a surrendered and courageous cry for God's will to be done. Your will be done, God. Back then, 2,000 years ago, as well as today. And it was as of this confession of surrender, not a flippant statement, not an impulsive thing said on a whim, but a costly, weighty, prayerful, courageous posture of thrusting himself on the hands of the Father. It was followed by, by the punctuation of the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, the beatings, and the flogging. The crucifixion and the burial were but the period after this prayer that God's will would be done. And against all odds, today, this morning, we celebrate Easter Sunday. 
where in thundering defiance, the resurrection, which we are celebrating today, changed this declaration of surrender to the most triumphant, liberating, glorious declaration written over our lives. It is surrender, but is joyful, defiant, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting surrender. And that is, that is our prayer today as well. God, your will be done. This is the good news. I was talking with a pastor friend um, just a couple of days ago, and this is what he said. He said, you know, when all of this is said and done, and perhaps, you know, we go back to normal life, you'll come out of this either closer to God or further away from him. You'll come out of this either closer to God or further away from him. I believe God is doing some reawakening for us. I believe God is moving in such a way, perhaps not in a way that we would have planned, perhaps not in a way that we would have asked for, but God is nonetheless moving. And I'm going to outline just a few, very quickly, just a few ways in which God, perhaps through this unlikely channel of global crisis, he is reawakening us in many ways. First way is we are being reawakening, we are being reawakened to our weakness and our mortality. More often than not, we have the luxury of feeling like we are in control of our lives. Where, hey, if you get sick, there's medicine. Hey, if you, you know, if, if you're in need, hey, you have a bank account. Hey, if you are in need relationally, hey, there's a network around you. But we are being reawakened to our weakness, our weak frame, and our mortality. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are in the hands of the Father. Second way that we are being reawakened is we are being reawakened to our idols and our coping mechanisms. I believe that that is part of what God is doing, and we need to see this with clarity. I believe that perhaps in the last eight weeks, all of us have gotten a glimpse of just how quickly we run to different sources for distraction, for self-medication, for just anything that will get us away from that tension of what is happening in the moment. And perhaps we have seen our idols and our coping mechanisms more than ever before. Perhaps it's things that make us feel like we are in control. Perhaps it's an excessive, you know, looking at media or uh, being on top of the news in a way that is not healthy, in a way that makes you feel like as long as I am on top of these facts and the latest news and the latest research, then I'm in control of this thing. I'm not saying don't be informed. I Please be informed. Please watch the news. Please read well-written, well-sourced articles. But don't let that be your source of comfort and safety at the end of the day. Perhaps when we find ourselves isolated away from our community, and with more time in our hands than we've ever had before. Perhaps that's where we begin to see our idols. Who we are when no one is looking. 
what we run to when no one else is watching. And I'm hoping that this doesn't sound in a, in a condemning kind of way. I hope this is an awakening for all of us that we get to see with sobriety. We get to see these things that we are inevitably enslaved to and that we would begin to cry out to God for transformation, for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness as we see these idols and these coping mechanisms more clearly than we ever have before. Third way is we are being reawakened to the state of our spiritual walk and our relationships. I think the greatest tragedy would be for us to live through our entire lives, not really knowing where we stand with God, not really knowing how deeply when rubber meets a road, how deeply we trust in him. When we don't have a pastor or a, or a disciple or, you know, kind of holding our hand and leading us through this process, when we don't have that. And when it is no longer Sunday centric, where the bulk of your spiritual life seems to happen for an hour and a half once a week. We begin to see truly the state of our spiritual walk. And we begin to also see the state of our relationships. And I'm hoping that this is an invitation for all of us. Let's begin to cling to the Father. Let's begin to pray once again. Let's begin to reach out to one another. Obviously, perhaps not in person, but let's be present to one another. Let's call one another. Let's make sure that we're praying for one another. This is an opportunity for us to be strengthened in our relationships with one another and with God as well. And lastly, we're being reawakened to the hope of the gospel and the power of the church. We have nowhere else to turn to right now. We have no other places that we could look to for security and strength at this time. It's almost like God is making it very clear that he is the one answer, that he is the one hope and it's either true or it's not. And if it's not true now, then it's not true ever. When things are shaken all around us, when we are stripped away even from our community, when we find our jobs at risk, when we find our health at risk, when we are worried for our families, when we find ourselves in a place of pressure and tension and anxiety perhaps, is the hope of the gospel true in our lives? We're getting to see whether that is true in us today or not. And we're also getting to see what the power of the church could look like. Once massive Sunday gatherings are not an option anymore, we're starting to see what the church could look like beyond the four walls. We're starting to see what believers could look like, what faith can look like beyond just a Sunday gathering. I'm not diminishing the importance of a gathering at all. I'm saying it should be so much more than just that. That should be the starting point. That should be the sending point. That should be the launching pad for everything else that should be overflowing in every believer's lives. And so just because we have no choice at the moment, and perhaps because of the mercy of the Father, we are starting to see perhaps what the power of the church could look like at this hour of need. I want us to ask ourselves, as we have um, Pastor David come back up, I want us to begin to ask ourselves, what if, 
What if we were to come out of this as the global church, more faith-filled, more courageous, more convinced of the sufficiency of the gospel, more anchored in the Father's love than ever before, where we've gone through a season of hiding. We've gone through a season of being on our knees in the prayer closet. We've gone through a season where we cannot look to someone else's faith. And we have to deal and wrestle with God for ourselves once again, where we have to meet him once again. We have to meet him and clasp his feet and worship him once again. We can't wait for someone else to do that for us. We ourselves need to find ourselves there. What if we were to come out of this stronger than ever before? Praying like never before, trusting like never before, encouraging, loving, sacrificing, giving like never before. We're just starting to see what is possible. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat the situation. There's tragedy for sure. There's pain for sure. There is great loss that is happening all around us and we cannot shut our eyes. We cannot shut our hearts to that. And yet at the same time, God is moving and we cannot be blind to that either. So I'm going to end with something a bit unusual for us. You know how we usually um, chat online. We, we interact online. Uh, I'm looking at the live chat right now going on in our YouTube live. I want us to actually pray together through this chat. A year ago, perhaps we never thought that we'd be here. A year ago, we never would have chosen this for ourselves. But perhaps God has something much more glorious than we ever dared hope or imagine. At this time, around this time last year, I don't know if you guys remember, we were celebrating together what God has done in our church and in our community, we pass around these, you know, small pieces of colored paper and we ask people to write out their prayers. And um, we had so many people writing different prayers, prayers to see, you know, God moving once again, prayers to see our community become family once again. Thank you. So yeah, these are some prayers that we had written just a year ago. Some of them read to live out what it truly means to be family. God, I pray that we would be a church that never loses wonder, always seeks to have a softened heart before him, a family that cares for one another without judgment, a bride of Christ always burning with oil. A, saint, a, a church of saints that worship him no matter what. I pray that New Philly will continue to be a house where the fatherless can find peace and rest always. I pray that New Philly would be one body in Christ as a family of God. All these prayers, we didn't really know what perhaps these meant. Even just a year ago. And yet we're seeing God perhaps beginning to answer these things. Thank you. So how about we uh, 
take a moment just to go to our live chat. And it's going to feel awkward at first, but that's okay. We're just going to write a brief, brief prayer. It doesn't need to be, uh, you know, like a paragraph. Just one sentence. One sentence of what you are praying for the church. In one brief sentence. I want all of us who are streaming and online to share this prayer. And as we're reading these things, uh, let's come into agreement with it. And then I'm going to close us in prayer. So for the, just for the next minute or two, I want us to post on our chat a very short, quick prayer for the church. Just one sentence. It can be five words if you like. Just a brief prayer for God to be moving in the church. Let's pray. just going to start reading them. Father, I pray that you would purify our hearts so that we may see you more clearly. Father, we ask that the church would get ready for the return of our Lord. Father, we pray for revival. You begin to move. Father, would you restore the joy of your salvation? Father, I pray that the church would be gathering together one day with every nation and every tribe. Lord, I pray that we grow to be a prayerful church, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and know you more, that we would be a church that accepts and loves one another as you do. Our church would become a church that is built on the foundation of your word and the value and power of your presence without fear, doubt, and inhibition. Jesus, may we be holy and love with you. We pray to find true satisfaction in you. Father, we pray that your church would cling on to the hope that comes from your resurrection. That your church would be vessels of the fragrance of worship no matter where we are. Lord, we pray that you would become our one thing. That our hearts would always remain humble and tender. That as you sacrifice your life, let us sacrifice our lives for you. Father, we ask for these things. We pray that our hearts would always remain humble and tender. Father, we ask that you be moving in our midst, whether we see it clearly or not. Jesus, we pray that we will become more like you. That you be refining us, sanctifying us, making us more and more like you. Take us from glory to glory. We pray that Jesus will be the center of our church. That we wouldn't be centered around any other name, any other thing other than the name of Jesus. God, we pray for the church to spread the beautiful songs of worship all over the world. We pray that we would be the church that obeys you and loves you with all that we have. Father, we just, let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you. That you're a God who's listening. You're a God who's moving. You're a God who will exceed everything that we could ever ask for or imagine. You're jealous for your bride. You're jealous for your bride. You're jealous for your bride. You will employ any method to soften our hearts. 
to bring us to repentance, to draw us back to you, to reignite our heart and our passion for you. You employ any method, God, to teach us to be family. You employ any method, God, for us to draw closer to you, for us to become the church that you've called us to be, for us to live a life that is filled with faith and courage and hope and sacrificial love, a church that is your hands and your feet in a broken world, a church that knows to pray, a church that knows to rejoice and worship, a church that knows to weep and hurt, a church that moves in the way that you move, a church that carries your heart, is filled with your Holy Spirit, and a church that continues to preach and live out this gospel of hope that we have in you. A gospel that in the face of death, in the face of hopelessness, in the face of darkness, it is a gospel that overcomes it all with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your finished work on the cross. We thank you, God, for the empty grave. We thank you that for these reasons we can rejoice, whether we're meeting in person or not. That our true salvation, our true worth, our true worship comes from the power of the gospel alive in our lives and now being lived out perhaps not from sanctuary to sanctuary but perhaps from home to home from family to family from household to household we thank you father for this opportunity that we have to give you glory in each and every circumstance that we come through and we pray father that the name of jesus would be exalted as a name that is above every other name. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.